Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 358th episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host, Mason, and I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Mason. How about yourself? I'm doing great. You know, this week I felt like only you should get an adjective or a verb to describe yourself, and uh, I just hit you with the marvelous. So I hope that you enjoy that. I I do, actually. You I did? That's great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's so much fun. That's so exciting. Well, this week, uh, we're going to be actually doing a look back episode. So this is pretty exciting. We're going to look back at what we've kind of learned from Kaldheim, what we kind of learned from the, the pick two and everything like that from the beginning of it. And this will kind of become a new reoccurring theme for the show where once the format kind of reaches its end of being the main time of the sun, we're going to talk about it. And we'll probably do it when the big rotation happens as well for the, all the sets together, which is really exciting. That's going to be a, a fun episode to do to look back on Eldrin. I can't wait for that whole time period. Speaking of which, did you know it's almost been a year since we've had Ikoria? It's almost been exactly one year since we've had Companions. Yeah, I was talking about that with a friend where he was like, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of all the sets that I've missed out in drafting. I was like, yeah, the first one was Ikoria, Companions were broken. He was like, oh, wow. <laughs> that long? <laughs> it really has been that long. Uh, but it's it's going to be exciting uh, to have those kind of conversations and everything pretty soon later in the show. But first, our always improving moment, because we are always trying to improve ourselves and our game and magic. And uh, my always improving moment this week kind of comes from looking at the pro tour and stuff like that and basically what uh my always bring moment is is when you look at the historic deck specifically and you look at what did really well auras was one of the decks that actually overperformed and my improving moment was i had wrote auras off pretty early in the testing process and when thinking about stuff in historic because it has such a bad rakdos and jun sacrifice matchup i mean it is really really bad to play like the blue white auras deck into that uh especially the collected company builds uh, but what happened is two big things, and I should have realized this and should have came to this conclusion, and going forward, it's going to be a great learning moment, is that the Jun food decks all became Jun snack, right? Like, they had a bunch of food cards and Corvalds instead of collected companies, and by having those cards, you don't have Coco and Priest, which means it's much harder to find your pieces like Woe to have your claims actually go on. And the, some of the other cards you have now just aren't very good against what the Aura deck's trying to do. You're actually kind of playing into the game plan. And the other Rakdos deck, which is part of the problem of playing Auras on ladder, just isn't played there because everyone's playing these Jun decks because the Jun decks win the mirror and you don't want to be down in the mirror. So these sort of things kind of pushed out the Auras deck, along with the Auras deck getting some pretty big innovation with Demonic Possession and Kaya's Ghost Form. So that you're not really going really large with a lot of creatures, unless you have like a core spirit dancer, but you're going really resilient with a couple creatures, make them pretty big, and then you kill your opponent. And this actually allows you to also be good against the claim the firstborn plan, because now you have a lot of resiliency against removal spells. And I just completely wrote off auras. I was like, can't play because of this, da 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 da. I knew these things were changing and just didn't take time to be like, is anything that I thought was true before not true now? And I should have realized auras was a lot better than it was. And it was one of the decks that had the highest win rates of the Pro Tour, and the Pro Tour winner actually played it. So, that's my favorite moment. Yeah, I think uh, there's just something to be said when you think about a deck like that, where you're like, well, I can't play it because the deck that's going to be 30% of the field or whatever is uh, is a bad matchup, is that the other 70% of the field maybe is a good matchup, and that's not actually the worst place to be in. And then, yeah, especially as we kind of understood the deck that you expect to be that big kind of diverging and, and inbreeding a bit reconsidering uh anything you've written off is definitely something to remember to do but it's hard to do in the moment you're just too busy thinking about all these other possibilities there's only so much time so 
Yeah, it's it's so easy, and you know, it's a little bit of an excuse, but it's true. I think it's a, a fair one, at least. That it's so easy to like. There's so much information going on, especially a format like historic, where there's so many weird cards and weird decks you could play. You're under such a time crunch. You know, like you don't have much time to do this sort of thing, and it's like, yeah, I have to write this deck off just so I don't like bog myself down making no decision, right? You know, like I have to do something, and uh, yeah, hopefully going forward I'll be much better at near the end of the process recontextualizing. Like we're here now, did anything change along the way? Which is funny because I feel like I'm really good about that when it comes to like building a sideboard and thinking about matchups. I'll be like, oh, like I've changed my deck a lot. I actually am worse in this matchup I was than I was before. I should like double check this where i'm in theory worse now and i just didn't do that with a whole deck which is kind of a funny lesson and uh <laughs> applying what you know as well but uh abel was your always improving moment uh my always improving moment this week has been i've just been working on getting better at mental math this is like something where a couple of jobs have applied to uh i like want to work uh, on wall street doing like options trading ideally so oh GameStop. Uh, yeah uh Exactly like that. To the moon. Yeah. Um, perfect. But one of the one of the first screenings that they do is just a, a raw, like, how well can you do mental math? Because they want to make sure that you're mentally, like, uh, astute enough and, and you're able to work with things quickly. Uh, so I've been training up for it. I've got, like, another few days before I'm going to kind of say that I'm not getting much more out of my playtesting. Um <laughs> But it's also just good to, you know, get used to thinking quickly about problems that you know there are answers to and getting them right and doing the process and stuff. And in Magic, it comes up a lot. You have to, like, do combat math quickly in your head or, like, compare two functions of how much damage output you have or, like, compare the odds of two things. And being able to do that in your head is really, really useful, I found. So uh, that's that's my always improvement. That's definitely true. I had that come up with uh, Arena on mobile. I was in an Elves mirror today. And my board, I have to scroll to see it. And so I just remembered the creatures I had that I couldn't see on board. And that was some real, like, I was like, if I didn't play mental magic and I wasn't good at mental math, I couldn't do this right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's dope. I'm glad to hear that. And I hope it uh, works out well. Yeah, yeah, hopefully I hear back, you know. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be super exciting. Uh, that's going to move us on to our Patreon question. If you want to support the podcast, one of the ways you can do that is go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. And you get to ask questions like this one, which is what are our thoughts on the lesson mechanic? So Abe, what's the lesson mechanic again? I, I don't quite know. I don't study. Uh, so there's a, a set of cards in the new set that have keyword learn on them. And what learn says is when this creature enters the battlefield uh, or when the spell resolves, you may either discard a card to draw a card, or you may get a sorcery. They're all sorceries with subtype lesson from somewhere you own outside the game. So if you're in a draft, you just put them in your sideboard, or if you're playing constructed, you put them in your sideboard um, and add them to your hand. So it's actually kind of a really cool, like flexible mechanic of, you know, uh, my two mana two one with learn on it, which is a card in the new set of white card. Um, it actually is like two mana, two one draw, uh, you know, draw a conditional removal spell or draw this like specific hate card that has, that is a lesson. Um, and just kind of a way to, to have more of your draws give you more stuff. It definitely seems like a big nod towards best of one players where like now you have a reason to consider your sideboard options and like, you know, you play these learning cards and then you're able to get the 
the thing that answers what you're having a having a problem with. One one is uh, that they previewed is a black X spell where it like removes twice X loyalty counters from a planeswalker or returns a planeswalker of mana value like X or less from your graveyard to play. It's a bunch of really cool niche card designs that they can't really justify doing. But when you think of them as these premium wishboard targets that are like embedded into otherwise playable cards, they get pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It, it's kind of funny because it definitely does seem like a mechanic that spawned to help with the best of one thing, right? Where like there's this part of the game you can't really do, and you sometimes you just get like you're just out of luck. You just don't have an answer to this thing. But it's funny because it's almost like I would imagine it's less fun in best of one because you're almost forced to play them. You know, you're like I gotta play this learn creature that's good on rate so I can get my like weird sideboard hate card that I normally don't have access to, right? Like it kind of. In some ways, it gives you options, but takes away options in other areas because you feel forced to do this thing because you're just you giving up a zone you're not using, right? So you're just giving up resources, kind of like having a companion versus not having a companion. And so I think it's actually pretty interesting for Constructed. My thoughts are that as long as this mechanic doesn't have too many cards that are must-plays, it's fine where the learn cards just aren't good enough on rate. You know, like, I basically don't want to have to feel like I'm dumb for not playing, like, two mana three three trample and green that learns right like i i just i don't want to feel like i have to do that and then like you know the 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 learn cards um have been pretty interesting so far i think abe like there's like the colorless draw spell one so like that one seems nice to have as your limited fixer right that way everyone can like have a thing to do with this and the rummage part of the learn creatures is you know pretty relevant as well which we didn't quite mention too much there but i don't know man it's a little interesting to see the mechanic that makes the same thing happen over and over again. And I know they're smart enough to not purposely print anything too good, but I'm so worried when I see it. I'm not going to lie. I really don't like it when my games play out the exact same way every time. And these cards seem to lean into that. I feel pretty similarly. I was talking about this with my brother who doesn't really play a lot of Magic, but it seems like there was kind of the movement to like the New World Order that everyone like talks about where they made board states less complicated Mm -hmm. and like made the game easier to read. And then now we're kind of in, like, the new New World Order, where, like, we kind of want to add in gameplay complexity more because people want that. That's, like, kind of how we end up with fire designs and, like, wanting more powerful things. We want games to be more intricate and complex. And so the way that we've done that now, it seems, is giving each each card more options. So kind of like how an adventure card, you can choose to, like, cast the adventure... Uh, and then cast the creature, or just cast the creature, depending on the the trade-off there, the situational like value of it. This is kind of like, well, what do I want to have my lesson board be? What do I like? How? Which thing do I need right now? How good is it to have these things? And and you just wind up with more options and more resources, and that kind of puts a choke on making sure you're making the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I am also a little fearful that it plays out in a way where, you know, like there's some sort of, there's some sort of monster of like, oh, well, I'm just always going to have the answer to like you wanting to, you want to do something really cool. Like you have some combo you want to pull off. Well, you can't do that because I would now run like four extra copies of disenchant that i don't actually have to draw as disenchant ever because sometimes it just replaces itself as some other reasonable threat like yeah it it it's two it's two creatures or it's like uh or it's like indrick stomp and blows up your your thing and so that's like 
kind of scary, but but we'll see how it is. I'm really excited for it for limited. I think the things that kind of mitigate flood and screw and add consistency are really good for limited. The same way that I think that like the London Mulligan's good for limited, but like not so good for like modern. <laughs> yeah, say. yeah, yeah. Uh, I like, definitely vibe with that. But uh, it it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm I've been cautiously optimistic for the last few sets. I think since. Since Zendikar, I've been like, oh, you know, these cards don't seem like they're breaking the... Other than Omneth, don't seem like they're breaking the game. And, uh, and like, the, the things that are happening are pretty fun. And it seems that it will continue to be that way. I, I think this will be pretty fun, and hopefully they didn't push the envelope too far. Yeah, I, I agree. I It's funny. I, I feel like, and I don't know this to be true, but I would love to listen to them. I would love for a, a person in R&D to respond to this question of, like, is the plan to make limited formats really good and just be cautious for constructed and kind of work from there? Because things like the double face uh, lands, right? Those are super great for limited. They're, they're cool for constructed and add interesting options. Uh, Kaldheim, you know, it had a lot of like mana fixing if you did snow stuff and a lot of versatile cards that play different points in the game. And so you had more times where your mythic rares you drafted actually did something, right? They didn't get clogged in your hand. And then this allows you... I think you and I talked about this once, right, But uh, before, but with the lessons, you don't have to make it so you rummage, but if you make it so it rummages, you add actually more choices while also mitigating uh, mana flooding and or mana screw in limited, right? Like, yeah, I really want to go grab my five drop thing that's really good, but I really need lands now. This is another way to smooth the game out. And just letting people always play is kind of cool. And I like this for limited because limited already has this high level of variance right where like you you open this random card you just the random like there's just no way about it is this when it gets to constructed is where i get the problem because even though my deck's random i don't think a random deck is enough to force uh more consistency onto a game basically it's like why i like hearthstone's randomness is because it adds extraness because the game would be too samey if you didn't do that and that'd be yeah. a really big problem so um, yeah it so far, I haven't seen any big offender lesson cards. You know, they seem like they're either like, oh, that's a powerful sideboard card, or like, and maybe they, they put a tension that makes it so that certain things can't happen in the format because people are able to just learn for the answer. But uh, we'll see, man. Yeah. Like, I think that the fact that Magic has so many effects that are just mull drifters now, where every card draws a card, uh, is still something that I think magic is grappling with and that like you know constructed formats are grappling with and we'll see how this one adds to that or detracts from that but i i think that if it's a miss you end up with this mechanic that's like okay well i don't really care about devoting sideboard slots to have like three copies of three mana turn your thing into a three two which mm -hmm. is one of them it's like a white card that exiles something they have a three two instead um like that's not good enough that's not being anything yeah. Or that's not it's not like worth playing the learn card, but you know, what you don't want to have is that everyone has to play some learn card because there's some card that's a lesson that is like so good against <laughs> yeah. like whatever else is good that you have to have it. And if you don't have it, you're a fish. Because that's like Yeah, we're <laughs> that's, some, that's some lesson that's just so good on rate, right? Like a color like the the fear is the colorless ones, right? Because that would just make every deck like be like, why aren't you playing this learn card? Like, getting this lesson is so strong. Um, yeah. And that, that, yeah, if, that like, is if it scary. was colorless, like, two-mana draw card or something, right? If it was like, well, why aren't you playing, like... Why aren't you playing this one one that learns for one or whatever? Because then you have the second coming of Thraven Inspector. But I think yeah. they've costed the colorless ones fine, and, and I haven't seen any of the ones that are... 
that are like egregious. The, none of the white ones, the the rares that I've seen are like super egregious. So yeah, the, I will say it's funny the the white enchantment that when you attack, you can put a plus one plus one counter on a thing. I actually think is secretly kind of strong. Because there is a lot of cards that are incentivizing plus one, plus one counters. So, I mean, it's, like, cool because, like, if I have a Conclave Mentor deck, my Mentor deck does more things, right, consistently, which is nice. Uh, but not cool if that's actually really good. That's kind of the problem, yeah. right? Like, it's cool if every one in a hundred games on Arena, you know, I play against this thing and do, and it happens to me, that's whatever. It's if it happens every one in four games is the problem, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. It's interesting for sure. Yeah, like I said, it definitely feels like adventures in that I feel like what is more likely to happen is that there's play pattern of like, oh, I'm going to play my dinky learn thing, and then it's going to get me this like thing in my sideboard, and therefore now I'm playing like four copies of this efficient card, and we're going to get tired of seeing the lesson cards be played, or like, you know, the format's going to be be warped by that, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about the consistency thing yet. Yeah. I haven't seen anything that makes me be like, wow, that's going to oppress a game. So yeah, that's true. I've not, not seen that much yet. I also, we'll, we'll know by next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll know by thir- four days from now. We'll know. We have the whole set in front of us. Uh, I guess it's three days. Today's like basically over. Also, it is cool that Rummage works nice with the red white cards. There seems to be a big graveyard theme there, and I imagine the black greenhouse probably has a graveyard theme too. So that's kind of cool that those like lesson or the learn cards are going to work well with the less uh those houses so that that's a kind of a cool thing along with theros and stuff like that like i imagine someone in a future future league discarded an Oro and drew a card and then brought their arrow <laughs> back you know <laughs> and so it's a shame i won't do that but maybe with crocs i will uh so that was our patreon question of the week thank you so much for asking that question it's super exciting it's fun to talk about that sort of stuff uh another way to support the show is to go to oasisgames.com and you can pick up your magic cards there they have singles and everything ready to go they'll have the uh strixhaven i forgot i almost called it call time for some reason call time is just like stuck in my head but uh, for strixhaven cards they'll be ready to go you can order them online super soon and you can pick up all your sweet sweet promos uh, the Japanese art ones look amazing. It's so exciting. You can use code CCMTG at checkout to get 15% off your first order and use code would that be good to get 4% off every order. Abe, where else can they go to support the show? Uh, you can also go to Grey Viking Games, which uh, I, we've explained this a lot on the show because it's kind of a, a new thing, never before seen to magic, but... Uh, they're kind of like a skin store for Arena. So if you you know you you wait for the daily deals and you like to see like your favorite set of sleeves or maybe things that aren't in the shop go on sale, uh, your favorite promo art that you can't find or maybe one of the secret layer arts that you just can't get otherwise on Arena, you can go to them and you can buy the code with money instead of with like gems or gold or whatever, uh, and. They'll give you the code and then you redeem it and you're all all good to go. I think they'll also have the the pre-release codes that come from the pre-release kits for packs and stuff that are obviously going to be difficult to get as not really not really having paper pre-releases these days. <laughs> true, uh, true. <laughs> if you are, don't tell anyone and definitely don't tell me because I'll be mad at you. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, do not inform me that you're going to a paper pre-release place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so yeah. go to go to Gray Viking Games and that's promo code CCMTG at checkout. Uh to, to save, I think it's 5% on your... Uh, 10%, Abe. You're thinking too small. twice as much. Double. It's that's like a learn card. You get it for free. how great they are. <laughs> yeah. That, that one's on. You should have learned about that one. You search up that extra 5% from your sideboard. We put it in there for you. 
Yeah, that's that's a lesson I, I've learned today and I will never forget. So <laughs> I'm so glad to have that happen. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners are glad to learn that one too. And how many times can I run this joke in the ground? We'll have to learn together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's our sponsor. Thank you so much to them. And thank you so much for our patrons for supporting the show and allowing us to do those questions. Abe, do you kind of want to take it away on the main topic here? Because this was kind of your brainchild. I yeah. really love the idea. So, so uh, as longtime listeners know, and if you're a new listener, you're going to find out, every set we like to do a pick two of the previews. We pick like five categories. Uh, it always contains sleeper, hopeful, and hit. And then... You pick two. We pick two cards from each of these categories um, that are our cards in the previews that we think fit these categories well, and just show off the cards we are excited for and we think have potential in the set. Uh, I thought it would be a good idea, and I'm hoping that you guys all agree to go back and have a little bit of uh, what did we learn and how, like, where were we wrong on evaluating some of these cards? Where were we right? Do a little post review, uh, come back to it at the end of the lifespan of the format to see, you know were we on point with what were the hits of the set? What was the sleeper? What, like, what were we hopeful for and did it happen? Um, and go over kind of where our heads were at with where standard was and where it has ended up uh, as far as the, the cards we have. So I wasn't here, unfortunately, for the call dime previews. And so I don't have a pick two list to do, but next time I will. Uh, but Mason... We can really dive deep on <laughs> what yours was and how right or wrong. So why don't we start with uh, what were your picks for the sleepers of the set? Uh, so the sleepers I had for the set were Goldspan Dragon and Usher of the Fallen. Uh, it's kind of funny. I, I made this list. because I, I remember this pretty clearly. I had it ready to go Sunday night because I think Allie and I were originally supposed to record then. And it got pushed. And then by the time the episode came out, the cat was kind of out of the bag on Goldspan Dragon. And so if you listen to it, it was like, this is a sleeper. But it's like, no, I promise you, on Sunday, people weren't talking about this. Like, I, my, the card was asleep. I was going to look so smart, I swear. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those were, those were my two uh, my two sleepers for the set. Yeah, so those, those are your sleepers. I think they're pretty good sleepers. I think, uh, I think that, like, Goldspan Dragon was a card that until very very close up to when the set actually released. People just kind of looked at it and were like, oh, it's a big, fast dragon. Like, cool. Um, but with the way the Fertel works and how many just two-minute interactive spells there are, like, that card did come out strong with the release of the set. And, uh, you know, Naya Fury is a, is a deck that showcases Goldspan Dragon to the max. The early Blue-Red Snow decks that no longer exist, kind of like morphed into the Teamer decks, were really big on Goldspan Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um... Even the even the current team decks are are big on Goldspan Dragon, so, so it, that, that's not a bad call. Yeah, it, it's an interesting card too because it has seen play the entire time it's been standard, and at like a like probably tier two at the lowest the entire time, right? Like week one, the blue red deck was super big, fell off a little bit. We saw the teamer deck kind of come up a, a version of it, you know, kind of fell off a little bit. Then we saw the Naya Fury decks come. Then we saw the Gruel decks kind of come at the same time. Then you know Naya Fury kind of took over, and then now we're back to teamer. Uh, with you know a little bit of knife fury still in there, and it's just done similar-ish things the whole time, right? Like be an efficient thing and allow you to cast more. But it's been doing it in uh, a lot of different decks, which is exciting because I feel like normally when we have a card as strong or cheats mana that kind of homogenize around one thing. It's been cool to see Goldspan Dragon kind of you know go to different houses over the course of the format. Yeah, I think that's a really cool thing about cards that give you an advantage in a pure resource way, like. 
Goldspan Dragon is always giving you two mana when it's targeted and always giving you two mana when it's attacked. And the ways that you can use two mana are just so versatile across colors and across decks. Like, we have decks that play, like, we have the Fury deck, which plays, like, Unleashed Fury and stuff. And then you have, like, the control decks that are using it to be able to cast their foretold saw it comings and whatever. So there's just a lot you can do with two mana. And those, those things that you're doing with it kind of change the kind of gameplay around this card, which is just, to some extent, protecting it. But a lot of the time is like just moving forward a game plan that involves killing with this dragon that is also just a very efficient threat. Yeah. Um, so that, that card, actually, I, I think that, and unfortunately for you, Cat was out of the bag when yeah. the episode came out. <laughs> Maybe you should have put it in hits. Uh, I, I, I try not to change that stuff too much. Part of that, too, I think, at the time was, like, uh, how late the thing came out. Also, you know, at a certain point, when you listen to the... If you don't listen to it the day of, right, it's just kind of all these set reviews, things change so rapidly, you know? You're going to learn this firsthand when you do the set review, but we're going to yeah. record on Monday, then we're going to get in the early access by Tuesday, and then we're going to be like, oh, we were so dumb. We were just so <laughs> dumb to ever think this card was good. Or how did I not know that this learn spell was insane? I'm so so stupid and then you know well, that the episode's coming out later that day and you have to live with that knowledge <laughs> i'm almost like happy then that we're doing this first retrospective episode where i'm i'm not afraid of looking dumb yet because uh because i'm not you know hey hey <laughs> I, I, I am definitely not on the line here <laughs> I, I i think it's great to go back and look at it you know i mentioned on the podcast before but i have been wrong on a lot of things and i love to go back and listen to my pick reviews and see what i've done wrong what i've done right and it's always impressive to me the things where I just like I spotted this card that is so innocuous and turned out to be a huge format player, you know, one way or another. Like I was pretty big on Dreadhorde Butcher, right? Like that was a card that turned out to be a pretty big role player and it's standard for those French decks and really good and historic. And I thought I had that sort of up potential. And then there are things like Oko, where I was just like, I don't know, man, doesn't seem good what enough. Food, man. Yeah, once upon a time I was I, I had a big thing on this. It was a CC episode where I was just like, once upon a time does not go into every green deck, it's gonna be fine. Fine. Like people are <laughs> especially not watching the video versions. Like, did you really say that? I really did. So I messed it up. I also my, one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> I was also a defender of that card. I can't even lie. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to hear that. I don't feel as bad. But my, my favorite of all time, though, really is when uh, Yorgon came out and Ali and I were talking about it. We had a companion section, of course, right? It's such a big mechanic. And I said, you know, I'm really worried about a lot of these companions, but Yorgon's the one. That's the one I think we need more of. Like, if we do more companions, do more like Yorgon. That, that's what I want to see. And it turns out I was so wrong <laughs> on that one. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, so, it's funny. So... Let's say that we, this is like the second part of this, let's say we could go back in time right now mm -hmm. to when you recorded that episode. If you could go back and pull out your sleepers, what would they be? I really want to do that, uh, Real, but first I would love to kind of talk about Usher of the Fallen. Because I feel like it kind of got glazed over there a little bit. Oh, you're right, yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, funny the because... The Savannah Lions that could. Yeah, the Savannah Lions that could, but also... The mono-white deck turned out to, you know, at different points be pretty great in the metagame to just kind of medium, but it was always at least, like, medium. And it's weird to me, because this card seems so strong, yet we've seen it go down to, like, a three and a two of a lot now in the decks. Such a weird type of phenomenon, where it seems like a card that, like, of course my white deck has four Usher of the Fallens. Don't be stupid. You know, but it just doesn't play out like that. And I, I actually am not exactly sure why still, and I was kind of thinking about that going into this episode... Do you have any thoughts on it? Because my kind of thoughts are just like the board gets clogged think, up a little too much. So, so I think it's actually like Usher the Fallen is the and and I think it's kind of like if you look at like Paulo's list from the um, 
from the the split which was like the mono white deck that i know that i played um mm-hmm. for that like caldime qualifier weekend and I, I know a lot of other people have played or looked at but it had like some ushers in the sideboard and then ushers like a, a couple ushers in the main the thing about it is that when you have a savannah lions you want to attack with it every turn but if your deck has so like the the boast ability makes sense but if you're a deck full of savannah lions which is generally how you play savannah lions you kind of want to play just more savannah lions mm-hmm. after your first one so like spending two mana to make a one one is good if you're going to play a game that's very attritiony and you know you have to fight through several like sweepers so mm-hmm. like in the matches where it's good you get to go like all right attack for two make a like make a one one or like play my yeah. two drop then on turn three like it lets you continue to develop your board forward in a way without having to invest more cards. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it really is just Savannah Lions with a marginal upside. And Savannah Lions itself wasn't very good because of just like how good, like, I don't know, like Lovestruck Beast is and like <laughs> God bless. How good. <laughs> yeah. And like, and to keep up with things like that, you can't really just leave your board developed as like on turn two, I've spent one card and I have a two, two and a one or a two, one and a one, one. That's just not really like conducive to being an aggressive deck. So I think that while it is one of the better Savannah lines we've seen, and I think it has a lot of potential with its creature types going into, uh, going into Strixhaven because it is a spirit. It's also a warrior for party things. Mm-hmm. Um, it still could be like the glue that binds something together and is still a very good Savannah lines. It just doesn't have it, you know? There's not the things that pay you off for making a 1-1 on turn two, or, like, there's not the things that allow you to continue to attack with this and then, like, have a blocker on the back end or whatever. The things you're getting attacked by in the matchups, you want to save cards by making 1-1s or, like, Elder Gargaroth anyway. So it's not like you're meaningfully impacting the board with that creature, but... Yeah, the slow grindy decks are just too good at ending the game almost, too. And so even where yeah, the and card, then, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The the creature decks also just have like Ember Cleaven. So like <laughs> yeah, the, one, the ones where you're trying to like chump block their <laughs> their five five love struck beast on the backswing once you got your all the skyclaves on your usher, they're like oh, take eleven. And you're like, I don't have eleven. <laughs> like that's <laughs> just kinda kinda rough. No, that's fair, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. So, that, those are all really good points. I like that. So if you were to go back and and select the sleepers, I've got two right here that I think the perfect sleeper picks. The, per- the ideal <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty sleeper picks. But I want to see if we agree. What, what are yours? So I think my, my, if I had to go back and do two sleepers, it'd be uh, Halvar, the god of battles, which is the white god. I think I think that card was one of the actual first cards previewed, you know. Uh, and that card was did not get talked about at all. Um, and then I think the other card I would say is Binding of the Old Gods. You could actually argue as well uh, Showdown the Scald, which was also one of the first card previewed, and people just didn't get it at first. And it's kind of proven not to be the biggest thing in the format, but it's been a real player. But I think Binding of the Old Gods uh, is a card that's strong, seen a lot of play uh, in decks, and just did not get that much appreciation at first. Um, and I think it kind of was the sleeper, and it's been kind of huge in the format. Yeah, I think... Uh... There were a lot of cards I bounced around in my head of, like, what what would be the perfect sleeper. Bind the Old Gods was up there. Uh, Showdown of Skull was up there, but we'll, we'll get to where I ended up placing that one. Um, but I think you can't talk sleepers without Alrun's Epiphany, a card that no one talked about. That's true. And wound up being a huge player, in part because of Emergent Ultimatum being a card that was kind of discovered to be very good. 
and uh, and then like it kind of being playable enough to bind together the late games of some teamer decks and and just being this very powerful like ramp control end game card uh, and Toski. Toski, that that's a good. Toski went from being like, yeah, this is a cool EDH card or whatever. Like, why has it got so many words on it? The squirrel is like weird. To it was the defining card in breaking through like Sultai decks until they were able to adapt themselves. Entire archetypes were like not prepared for the card Toski, and it it enabled the whole like Naya traction decks where you had, like, Clarion Spirit and Jaspera Sentinel because you could play all of these cards that were cheap and not very, kind of dinky and not very good, but then guarantee that you were drawing a ton of cards and, and still moving through the game really well. Yeah. Uh, and, and that card was just one that I think no one expected to be as big a player in Standard as it was or is. And now it's a card you even see, like, show up in the occasional historic sideboard, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's just true. It just gets around, like... I don't know what the squirrel's secrets are, but <laughs> they are plentiful. They're, they're good secrets. <laughs> like they're people just like it. So no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that, that, those are good ones. I like I like that a lot. It, it's funny because I do think Showdown Toski do a lot for that same deck, but uh, Toski is definitely the one that got a lot less love than some people did see Showdown at least as a sideboard card. You know, so I buy yeah, it. Yeah, and, and people early on were really trying to break Showdown. It was a card. That uh, when we get to when we get to the hopeful section, I'll talk about because that's where I ended up putting up. Spoiler alert! Um, <laughs> it was a card that people really, a lot of people really were like, "How good is this? You know, how does it play out? It's kind of like hard to evaluate. What are the ways I could break it?" Um, and, and it took a while for that to be figured out. But let's move on to what your hopeful cards were. So I had a uh, Resplendent Marshall and Arnie Brokenbrow. Um, Probably should start with Marshall since that's the one that's seen Azerha play in its time and standard. This one is one that I I thought it would be that there would be like a white aggressive deck, which I was right about. But I thought it would be the white the white deck is much more actually a mid range deck than an aggressive deck. It just has draws that beat down thanks to things like Luminar Casper, right? And just having like a plethora of one drops you want to play, and so it gets to beat down sometimes. It's much more a mid range deck. And I thought that Resplendent Marshall was this way to kind of have this ramp card or have this engine card that's really powerful in the late game that they have to kind of answer because it's like hard to kill with being a 3-3. And then if you don't kill it, uh, then like it's killing you. And if you do kill it, it makes your other things bigger. And so I kind of put them in a pinch. And I think that's still possible. I think that like this is a card that like I really want to look at, especially when we get close to Innistrad. You know, I imagine there'll be a lot of like graveyard mechanics and self-mill and stuff. But for right now, I think I was just a little too ambitious on a 3-3 that required setup, even though, obviously, it's so funny. In previous season, it always happens where, like, people, like, three drops you play on three and four drops you play on four, and that's the only time we ever play them. I've never played a three drop on turn five in my life, you know? And it's like... I'd sooner be caught dead. Yeah, I I would concede the game before I did not use all my mana on turn five. But I, I try to think about things, like, in that context, and I think I got too caught up in the ladder of, like... Yeah, like, you're just going to draw this thing on turn 5 or 6, you're going to have a couple of idiots around, you're going to play, it's going to buff yeah, them. something's going to be dead, you'll just exile it. And then exactly. Get yeah, like, what are they going to do, not kill my creatures? What are they going to do, kill my creatures? It's a, it's a can't-win <laughs> situation. Uh, and I think that, in combination with uh, a lot of the mash removal being exile-based, really hurt this. Uh, and probably just not having yeah. enough cards on rate to play. Um, but Yeah, I, I kind of, 
I'm only now just thinking of this after we just spent a bunch of time talking about Usher the Fallen and Mono White. But if yeah. you think about the other one drops in the white deck, they're like Selfless Savior and Alcyud. Yeah. And those are like not really they're a not creature types that are good <laughs> that's for, so true for a tribal <laughs> for a tribal thing unless you're really getting specific i know there were those dog tribal cards in uh, in the core set but that's as far as we go um but they're also just not the kinds of cards that are really like we want to grow these and keep attacking because the increase from being a one one to a two two isn't that big like putting a counter on them isn't all that great whereas like usually going from like a 2-1 to a 3-2 is a pretty big buff and like definitely going from a like once you get up to like four or five power like two or three counters on your things kind of huge like, yeah it's they, so large they do yeah. work um your your like average mana cost improvement of your card is like is pretty large i'm sorry do you mean uh, mana value but- yeah sorry uh, <laughs> mana value. your average mana value you'd use to get uh, a creature of those stats just is is pretty big to go for like like a one mana two one being a one mana like four three that's a huge bump but like a, a one mana one one to like a two two is like a two mana thing you're not you're not really getting that far uh, yeah as far as like virtual mana advantage and talking about this too i think i remember on the podcast saying it had like a sleeper like a there's a secret one with it which was uh rally the ranks i think or lead it was the glorious anthem card but you choose a creature type Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that way. I thought like if Marshall's good, this is probably good. And there were a lot of warrior cards, and so I kind of thought that we were going to be doing stuff along those lines, maybe. Um, yeah, I think if missed. if Mono White had one drops that were more attacking oriented. Yeah. You know, like they're they're much more the ones that they're playing are much more about protecting the things they have in play, and are not really about like. And that's why the deck feels kind of mid rangey and not very mm-hmm. aggressive. Is that you're not like. It's not like the uh, was it venerated Loxodon, like Knight of or uh, History of Manalia deck. Yeah, that people I think think about a lot are like Legion's Landing, where you're just swarming and attacking a lot and growing your things, and like that's your game plan. It, it's much more like I'm gonna sit around with Luminarch Aspirant and play, and you're not gonna touch it, and then I'm gonna pull them all on this thing, and you're still not going to touch it, <laughs> and then it's going to I'm playing a Halvar, and now it's attacking you for ten, and you still are not allowed to touch it, and you're like, oh man, like. I wish I could have touched it. Like, awesome. Yeah, you're, you're almost like an infect deck with those draws. It's kind yeah. of funny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought Refinement Marshall was like the unbreakable formation of its time, but uh, it just was not. Or it isn't, at least. Not yet. So. Yeah, not yet. I, I I thought it was kind of interesting that the Historic Angels decks just like never looked at the card. It That is weird. It The, like, the Angels deck is just in general weird. T- speaking of, like, really quick, that deck did not survive the pressure cooker. Like we talked about three weeks ago, it did not survive... I, I, Feel, I feel a little validated there because I felt like a crazy person when I was seeing these angel decks everywhere. Like they're kind of good, but they're not as good as people thought. Um, yeah, probably Arnie Broken Brow is the next one. This one's weird. It kind of seen a little itty bitty bit of play in Gruel back during the rise of Sultai, and we it saw was the it as last gasp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a good. It was this is our last hope, and uh, it turned out that you know Gruel just couldn't quite stay around the format. But uh, it's a card that I think. It kind of did what I was thinking it would, but maybe not to the same extent. I thought Gruul might be a more of a player than it turned out to be in the format. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Arnie Brokeback just didn't quite impact the format in the same way for as long as I thought it would. Uh, and there was no real tension in deck building like I thought it might create. So, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it was just a card that... I, it's kind of hard for me to envision times where, like, 
especially in like the year 2021, that a creature that is mostly about stats is the best creature, especially when it's not like about being cheap and stats. It's like a three mana three three haste is efficient, but it's not. And maybe this is more love struck beast going on. Well, yeah, you know, that, that's like, so like, kind of big. Yeah, so like my head is, is like it's a four drop, right? Like it's a, it like instead of having questing beast and getting your mana messed up, which was always a problem for Gruel back then, you know, it was like you play Arnie, and then Arnie lets you more consistently play your curve out, and then it gives you a way to have a, a three drop to play on turn four. You know, like you draw your love struck beast, you're like, oh, I'll play this instead. Then next turn, Arnie hit you for like you know twelve or whatever it is. And so that yeah, was kind now, of the thought. Now I'm thoughts. attacking for like nine with my bone giant and my like army, or like I play a fable passage with a brush fire in play. So like you you're know, dead. <laughs> <take> Eleven. <laughs> yeah, I Kazandu Mammoth made it a seven seven to my army and eight three. <laughs> like you die. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that it was just a thing where like the the games just didn't play out that way, right? Like like the format just wasn't about that, and that's fine. I think the card it did have its time. It was part of a plan that wound up just being worse than other plans to handle. Sultai, but it was like we it there was a need among the gruel hive mind to kill faster and be faster and it was a card that met that need for for a weekend and even you know i think some people like cash some events maybe even top 12 nests you do with it yeah um, bogamies i think did so yeah it, it was it was a piece of a puzzle that like you know as the format developed and people are trying to solve these problems week and week week in week out it was uh it was a piece that was it got a time on the field, you know, like coach put him in, but mm-hmm. uh, it just didn't didn't stay. For uh, sure, and that's fine, you know. Not every card does. Yeah, I agree. It got a sick Viking metal song about it, right? <laughs> it really did. It also has the the saga about it. You know, Arnie has his own saga, so that's a win too. Yeah, I you defeated the troll. Limited. <laughs> yeah, it's really good there. It's killed a lot of my Arnies. It's not cool when that card kills my Arnie. <laughs> that's like not the lore. It should be unless it's Arnie Broken Brow. Flavor uh, flails and limited should be banned. That's just true. Just one hundred percent. If my rare dies by my cool rare story card Mm-mm. no Run it, it angers Rewind. me Rewind. i agree so so now looking back mm-hmm. how would you what would you say your hopeful cards were i think maybe my hopeful cards might be like kosima god of voyage i think that was probably a better hopeful card um it still hasn't really done anything but i think still very hopeful for that to be like There'd be a world where we can play these slower control decks that don't have to use ultimatum and stuff to actually end the game. I think that would be really cool. And I think that one kind of fits in that way. And I honestly, I I think Hopeful's pretty broad, but I think Arnie still has a lot of room. And so I might put her Arnie back in there despite kind of hitting. But I just think Arnie offers a lot of different flexibility and choices versus other cards. And like you said, it's hard for stats to be the thing that matters and not to be your drawing point in 2021. But as long as you have Lustruck Beast and Mammoth and Brushfire as things we could go back to, if they like, you know, maybe get enough love somehow, uh, maybe like in the D&D set, I think it could yeah. be playing. It has its potential. And, you know, Arnie could see play in red decks, red white decks, maybe, you know. There's a lot of different space for Arnie to move around in. Yeah, so. and I mean, even after once there's a rotation, like Arnie still has a lot of potential there. I think so. Yeah, hundred percent. So, what about your hopefuls? My hopefuls, and this is one that's like way more up, open to interpretation. I think you know. Yeah, like, this one's really like playing the cards you home, want to be like, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my hopefuls were Usher of the Fallen and Shadow of the Skull. Because I think that Usher is a card that I hope is good. I think that cards that small creatures that are encouraged to attack often. 
and also let you kind of like like you know pump the brakes uh against a, a controlling deck and like just kind of decide in more ways how you're developing your board i was a huge fan of affinity in modern for a long time because of how well you could manage so many resources at once and like decide where you're allocating them and it's kind of a similar thing where like i get to choose am i extending this additional like card that matters a lot when my deck doesn't really have many ways to generate advantage uh like am i extending this into it potentially getting killed here or not or am i choosing some other piece of value like a man land attack uh with like a blink moth nexus or an ink moth nexus or like activating my blink moth targeting my blink moth or something like that you know Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, I'm a huge fan of decisions like that, and so I hope that Arch the Fawn is a card that gets to see its time. And I think Showdown of the Scald is a card that, like, like I said, it was a card that everyone started playing like as soon as the set came out and was trying to trying to make work. The like Naya Adventures decks were pretty instantaneous; like everyone played them, and then it was kind of like, yeah, these aren't that good right now. Like they're not good at beating anything, so we'll like shelf them, and then they came back. I think that's kind of like the embodiment of what a hopeful card is. It's a card we want to see people play with and we want to be good. And uh, it was a card that people all wanted to play with and did actually wind up being pretty good. So, Yeah, I think think those are really good. I think those are good hopefuls. And now down to the real... I think think the realest of the real. (laughs) The, the, The one where you really just put it on the line saying how well you know how good a magic card. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the hits are like as I explained the to you. Hits, the hits. These are not just. These are not just your singles over the second base, in in the in the shallow you know shallow center. These are your home runs. These are your over the fence the moon shots. You know. Yeah, these what are the easy were, ones. <laughs> these are the ones that's were easy. Your hits. Just before you go forward, second. I think it's great to remember that pick two is born on even odds pod. Rest in peace. And the, the first one was uh, Assassin's Trophy. In fact, we made sure to do it last so we could do a whole bit about wasting our time talking about this absurd hit. So obviously going to be great and standard. So the hit really has a history of just not being right. Uh, but... I mean, I'm also going to say it's hard It's hard to nail a hit. Every, there's always a card you miss. There's yeah. always something going on. There's all, like Things all, don't always line up the way you think they will. That's mm-hmm. why we play the games. That's why if you're someone who gets it right every time, you're one of the best players you know, in magic, that's like, that's what separates the, the MPL in some ways from, from the rest of us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we've all had our, our big, our big misses. <laughs> Everyone thought Rakdos's return was way better than Sphinx's revelation. Everyone thought Aurelia's fury was going to be it, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's um, so true. <laughs> but we, Anyways, you're, pretty smart. you're a pretty smart guy. What, what were your picks for this set? Uh, Sigurd God's favorite, which I'm sure everyone knows at the top of their head, and uh, Joran God of Winter. Uh, and I'll start with Sigurd, because I think Sigurd is the one that's a little bit more ambitious. Um, you know, Joran, at least, we'll talk about that in a second. But I think that one, a lot of people can get how I got there. With Sigurd, I really did think the like Warrior White deck was going to be pretty good. I thought there was enough things that made your stuff bigger, and I thought everyone was really fixated... And this is like kind of a problem that I have and I also have with Magic players where they fixate on these little things and they like make these rules that aren't rules. And so they'll say stuff like two drop, or oh, sorry, X2s are illegal, Bonecrusher Giant exists. And it's like, that's not true, shut up, right? Like it's, it's true that like Bonecrusher Giant makes your X2s hard to play, but if your X2s are good, then like 
it's okay to play them. And the decks that I was considering playing Sigrid Godfavorite in, which if you don't remember, is the Flash 3-mana 2-2 with First Strike, Protection from Gods, and it exiles an attacking or blocking creature. And so in my mind, I thought we'd have like these plus one, plus one effects going on. And I we also, it's important to remember that we thought that Gruul was still going to be really big going to the new set. One of the narrative points kind of going into Kaldheim for a lot of people, and it's easy to forget this when you look back on the set. But at the moment, a lot of people thought there's not a lot of things that are super strong. It's looking to be a little bit of a weaker power set. It's probably it's possible that Gruul's just going to be the best deck, and if not the best deck, it'll probably be there the whole time. And Sigurd plays really well against Gruul. I mean, even if like you choose to do it before the Ember Cleave, uh, it like will kill a thing and then force their hand to cast Ember Cleave ahead of time, and then that makes you like kill the weakest creature and get rid of it. And if you do it post Ember Cleave, it's still probably like made it so kind of weird for them because you can get a free block you know it just became very hard in a world where you think ember cleave is the best thing to be doing you could see how sigrid would be a problem even if i wait till you you know i block some stuff you ember cleave your questing beast and then i'm like okay sigrid it before damage eat your things my turn and now you're like kind of blown out and so in a world where you think rules the best sigrid uh it's kind of a playable card what ended up happening is that Gruul got hated out because turns out these Sultai Ultimatum decks came out and we really underestimated how strong Emergent Ultimatum is with some of these new cards we got, which is funny because actually a lot of the packages that are the game-ending ones are all cards from Kaldheim. When you look at it, it's like uh, Alaron's Epiphany, Vorinclex, Valky, and then sometimes Cura Best of Sea Guide instead of Alaron's Epiphany, right? So like three of those four cards are from this set. Yeah. And it really, uh, it really shows just like it can be easy to get trapped the thought of how things are going to continue being the norm and just kind of missing on power. And when you miss on one thing, the whole house of cards falls, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. if you assume Gruul's the best deck, I think Secret is a card we can have a conversation about legitimately. When that's not the case, it's very hard to be like, lol, Secret, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't ever... I can't ever hate on the idea that a Flash creature with a very strong, like, you know very standard playable ability, something that interacts with combat in a kind of unfair way, has first strike, so it sets itself up to be, like, just so much if the format is about ground creature combat. Yeah, it's like and a two-for-one every time. Is a, is a premium answer to, like, Embercleave. Like, a huge punish to a huge player of the format that also just has so much other text. Hard to, like, hard to discount you there. I also am a huge believer that, like, cards with flash are just always kind of undervalued and wind up being better than they look just because Flash is like, it almost takes like a man off the mana cost in most, for most of these cards. Yeah. Like, because of the fact that there's so many times you just want to be able to leave up your mana for multiple different things, having a couple, having the Flash card in your hand to cast after you have all these multiple different things not happen mm -hmm. that you were like protecting yourself from, uh, like, they just reward you for, for playing more cautiously. And I think oftentimes cards that reward you for leaving up your mana tend to be good and you're just casting them more often than you think you are. Uh, it's kind of like you, you're you not always casting your three drop on thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like for some of these white white aggro decks, like maybe your turn five is like, I cast a, yeah, I, I like cast my two drop, like cast my Luminarch Aspirin, put a counter on something, we're like racing, I'm attacking, you're sending back, you put the Ember Cleave on the questing beast after I block, now I take your questing beast, now I'm like not dying, the Embercleave sitting there, lonely, nowhere to go, and now I, I'm attacking back for lethal or, or, or whatever. It's like a very envisionable scenario for sure. Yeah, it's just it's just totally totally reasonable just to happen. I, and yeah. I think that, you know, 
if it's about the board, Sigrid's just a two-for-one so much, even against decks like Rogues, which, you know, has, funny enough, people thought would get weaker because it didn't get any support, right, and that we still have Gruul, but Rogues has been the, the one of the two decks that actually survived. You know, like, against Rogues, it's like, eat your Soaring Thought Thief uh, via the effect and then block your Thieves Guild Enforcer. All right, like, these sort of things are things that could really punish the Rogues player still. Like, it's hard for this card to imagine not being good. But, uh, yeah, and the, Rogues is another deck that doesn't play like Bonecrusher Giant to get their thing back, right? Like, they, it's going to be difficult for them to get the 2-2 off the off the battlefield. So. Yeah, they're going to have to commit one of their, their premium removal spells. And in theory, you have a lot of things they have to answer. So uh, it can be kind of a squeeze there. So I, honestly, I, I thought actually about putting Sigrid in the hopeful category. Because I think that card um, is just going to... I'd be very surprised if we looked back at the end, like a year and a half from now, we're doing this show for when the this set rotates out. And we're like, yeah, Sigrid never did anything. Like at some yeah. point, it's going to be about attacking and blocking. And Sigrid probably has a good chance to be playable then. So there's also like so many gods. That, yeah, there's like, like 15 gods right now, minimum. Like, and who's to say there won't be more? <laughs> like, keep it in a buck there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's only it's only going up. Yeah. Gods to the moon. All the gods, all the time for sure. We have a pantheon of them. So what was the deal then with Jorn? Yeah, Jorn, the god of the winter. So uh, this one, I, I thought it's basically just the front half, right? It, so if you don't remember, it's the three mana three three god that when you attack with it, you untap all your snow permanents, which includes your lands. And I basically thought that a deck that was pretty good going into this next format was going to be Mono Green Food because I thought Mono Green Food got this and Vorinclex, which I was really big on Vorinclex. I was pretty positive Vorinclex was going to be a huge player in the format. It's kind of yeah, you had that, that in, your, in your hyped category, right? Yeah, I, I was just like I wanted to play with this. It's gonna, I think it's gonna be super exciting, and I'm also pretty sure that it's going to be a hit. Um, it turns out it was a hit in some, like, weird reasons, but still a hit nonetheless. Uh, and I thought that, like, the food deck was a deck that was pretty good before. It got some upgrades with this and some pretty, like, easy-to-envision scenarios in my head where, like, you play this, and then you, like, on your next turn, you just, like, activate your Trail of Crumbs or whatever that you played on the turn before, get some cards in your hand, and then attack it, and then make another play. And if your opponent can't kill the Jorn, then it's going to be pretty punishing. But another line is, like, you activate your Castle Garenbrig, you Kogla, kill the thing, attack with Jorn, then you can use your food, right? And there's just a lot of ways that deck uses its mana every turn. So I thought having a couple of these could be really strong. And I also thought there was a chance that maybe the, the Snow Aggro decks could play it as a way to double spell more often. There are things like Inscription and Runes, which is like a pretty strong green pump spell, uh, the green fight spell, sorry, that you can also use as a pump spell if yeah. you're willing to kick it. It's hard to commit that much normally in standard, but that allows this creature to get through in a lot of ways. Like, you know, you make it bigger, have your bigger creature fight something. So I thought it was just allow you to double your mana a lot. So I didn't think it was, yeah. like, Wilderness Reclamation strong, but I thought it had a pretty good chance. And that's before we even talk about the back half, which I was kind of low on, but I thought it does have this whole back half that maybe someone else will figure out. So that's where I kind of fell on that card. Yeah, I think uh, I didn't even think about the inscription of I think it's inscription of abundance, abundance? is the green one. Yeah, ruin the, the black black one. one. You're correct. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> limited guy, mental magic guy, striked again. <laughs> I can't yeah, wait. Certain. You put grappling hook on Twitter I'm, today. There's a grappling hook magic card that blew my mind. <laughs> I had a friend. It was it's just a garbage bulker. There's gonna be a bit of a divergence, but grappling hook which mason said like he wished that was on magic arena because every game is better with a grappling hook it's like a bulk rare from like zendikar and my friend 
like went deep on Zendikar first printing to try to like get the like unknown like I think they're called unknown expeditions or something. Yeah. It was when they put just like things they had in the warehouse into packs, and mm-hmm. like he would like went in on like a case that he like worked this like summer job to like be able to pay for. Jeez. And, like, and just got so many grappling hooks. It was on. It was like all his foil rares were grappling hooks out of some of these boxes, and he was like he just started collecting. Uh, and so the card just lives near and dear to my in my heart because of how many grappling hooks I just gave him as a gift because of like you know yeah the meme or whatever. That's funny. Anyways, anywho's uh, back to I the green think, cards. <laughs> yeah, I do think that like the it, had it come to fruition, the interaction of like turning that card, which is normally like five mana to kick the inscription, uh, into more of a Dramoka's command, we're able to like do this and develop another thing. Is, is a really interesting angle that had the format played out to be much more gruelly and more board centric would have been one that uh, that I could definitely see being being real. I, I just think the format didn't necessarily shape up to that, and and I think no one really knew that Emergent Ultimatum. I certainly hadn't thought of what Emergent Ultimatum did until someone cast it against me in uh, an SCG prelim. That was. Or sadly, I'll go that as far as like, to say I didn't know until I had to choose between the piles, and I was like, "Oh, these all are not good." I do yeah, not I was have like an reading answer. it while it was resolving, and I was like, "Huh?" And then I was like, "What? I'm just dead. This is wild." Oh man, what a day that was. Yeah, the first time that happens to you, you're just like, "Oh, this is not. This is gonna be a problem. I need to put some counter spells in my deck." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so with that, you know, we don't gotta we don't gotta dwell on that too. But uh, if you could go back now and change your hits, would you? And what would you change them to? So I would change both of them, I think. Uh, I would have Rodane, God of the Worthy, I believe is its full name. That card's just proven to be very good in Standard, good in Historic. Probably also has play in Pioneer at some point. And in Modern, I've seen it be a fringe card in the sideboards already. So that card's such an uh, an easy hit. Uh, and then Coma, I think, um, not as strong as it hits. A lot of people think... I th- well, a lot of people thought it was going to be. And I thought about putting Vorin Clicks here because it definitely was a hit. But Coma has seen a good amount of play in these Sultai decks and moved around in various spots in the deck. And we've seen Teamer decks splash, uh, where Teamer decks play Coma as a thing to like beat up the controlling decks. And so I think Coma was a hit, even though maybe not the, the Babe Ruth of the set, but you know, a solid player nonetheless. Yeah, there's a lot of hits you can really choose from in this set, which is something that I think is the most surprising thing about call time is that like it went from a set where people were kind of like yeah i don't know how i really feel on power level for tells kind of cool like how is like how much better is it to be able to pay for a spell on layaway like how does that change the way these play with cards like behold the multiverse and uh and saw it coming um and, by the like, way behold the multiverse i think it's an, a really easy hit like if you wanted to choose yeah one, so that. i actually i put goldsman dragon as a hit mm-hmm. uh in in my retrospective list and then I settled on Saw It Coming, but I I was between, like, that, Behold the Multiverse, um, oh, the Black Green Saga that I can't remember the name of. We talked uh, about Binding of the Old Gods. Yeah, Binding of the Old Gods. There's just a lot of, like, really solid role-playing cards that just found their own and are now, like, cards that you don't even think twice about mm-hmm. when you play against them, right? They're, like, they're these staple... Like, like they're not the breadwinners, but they're you know they're the staple cards holding decks together and like playing their roles uh, among a card pool that didn't feel like it had much room for that to happen, and that's really a huge like hats off to the designers because that's like a really hard 
like level to hit where you design a set where like yeah the rares aren't like aren't the ones that are like really breaking the format like a couple of them break through and are really good like goldspan dragon's obviously great but what's really impressive is these like takes on the classics like mm-hmm. the take on cancel that you can pay one more to like pay less for it on the turn you actually use it or like I- i'm glad you, know, you mentioned the, that one the I, there was a lot of debate on if that was even going to be better than the cycling one right like i remember yeah. at the time it was like cycling this card from your hand is really good still like i don't know if i really want to pay four mana for my cancel even though it's like later i get to spend two on it you know i have seen no neutralizes since then either yeah it's just been all sod comings in every deck list i see which is like kind of wild like it's really wild especially with the like yeah yeah it's just been weird that that card has so took over but it shows just how like powerful it is to like and I think I talked about this in my article for uh, Card Kingdom, but, like, when you get to break the play dynamic from your opponent of, like, I play this big thing, and then you, like, play your big thing, and that beats me, and normally you, like, pinch me on mana and I lose because of it, now I get to, like, sneak it in sooner and protect myself is so powerful. We're just going to just yeah. kind of dominate with the teamer deck, so. Yeah, and uh, I, there might be something, too, where, like, the mana in standard doesn't support always casting it as cancel that well. That's true, too. Right? Yeah. Like... Maybe if you're playing a blue-black deck and you're straight two colors, it's a lot easier to cast Cancel. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, being able to pay one in a blue to counter any spell is really good. It's like, really good. <laughs> you can be a deck that's like a hard three-color deck and still support like a very versatile answer and just kind of weave it in wherever to the point where even if you're paying four mana for a counter spell, you're probably okay with it. 100%. So. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you don't have anything else to do on that turn. Like, we've seen the the Teamer deck specifically is an Obosh deck, which is part of the reason I think why that card even fits, because it's a three drop that lets you use your mana as a two, which we know we're going to use our mana every turn is really good. And so it's nice to have some little flexibility there. And so, yeah, I think kind of a perfect storm on that one game to hit there. Because it didn't look to be at first, it looked like the blue red deck week one was not going to be good enough. And it turned out, hey, we kind of pivot and become something else and go the distance. So that was cool. That was dope. Yeah, seeing seeing that deck evolve, it, it's really kind of awesome. Like this format is one of the better standard formats I think that, like I've I've played through personally, even through like my very long career playing, like standard formats. Mm-hmm. And not only was there incredible diversity through to the end, there were all these decks that were all supported through other blocks. And we've had this conversation off podcast about block monsters, mm-hmm. where even though there are decks that very heavily like focus on mechanics from specific sets like there's cycling and there's rogues they're all kind of tied together and there's you know the adventure decks they're all kind of tied together and compete with each other across like their their main core thing comes from one set that's currently in standard but everything else is drawn from other places they're all playing to beat each other and the the dynamics of the format and the cards that matter right like they're all trying to compete on the same axes in, in some way, but with their own, like, twist. And uh, the format's just been really good to watch. It's evolved very well. You've The, the blue-red deck we saw go from being, like, like, how good is it to play Goldspan Dragon and all these two-mana interactive spells to, like, well, that's good, but everything else about it is bad. How can we do that other places? Um, and really, the whole thing is just shaped up week over week to the point where even up until the Call Dime Championship which was kind of like, it's so late, you assume it's a dead format, and it was won by Rogues, but coming into the weekend, it's hard to say for sure what you think is going to win or do well. Like, it's 
it really was a very week to week format and and even now it's like it's kind of settled which is which makes sense but it's, it's not the last week consider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, it took like, this long <laughs> like yeah like like we're here and it only really felt like last week's last weekend's SCGs were as dictated as they were because everyone was just kind of copying off the the PT list like I know I had a rough weekend but I also told myself like I'm going to be kind of busy this weekend. I don't really want to think about it that much. I'll just like lock in Sultai. And if I do well, I do well. That wasn't like the best because everyone was gunning for Sultai as I found out. But <laughs> people uh, don't like losing ultimatum. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. But like the format could still move forward from here, right? Like ev- a lot of people had a lot of success with rogues because so many people were like me and playing Sultai. But if all those people drop Sultai and start playing next to beat rogues, we could see the metagame continue to move and. You know, we won't because we'll see a new set come out and we'll see a bunch of new things happen and that'll be exciting. But I would say that this standard is one of the most successful standard formats we've we've seen. Yeah, it's it's weird because I definitely think a lot of metrics, it's a good standard format, right? Like a lot of decks you can play, format constantly shifting, nothing too oppressive and too powerful that forces you, like you feel like you have to play it, you know? And at the same time, I'm still kind of medium on the format, I think a lot of it has to do with just there's not a lot of decks I like to play. And it felt uh, arduous to figure out a deck to play each weekend. It was kind of like, ugh. Like, I don't really want to play any of these decks. They don't. They all seem kind of medium and there. And that's probably the spike in me really wanting that extra edge, you know? Like, I want to feel like I know what's up. And so it doesn't feel good because I don't feel that way. But in reality, that's probably good that this is happening and not the other way, yeah. you know? Um yeah, I think yeah. there's also something to be said, because when I think of my favorite standard format, it was the blue-white Delver standard format with Innistrad and, uh, like, Scars Mirrored and Block. Mm-hmm. That format I really liked because all of the decks were super... Like, when you played that format and you played a game really well, you felt smart. You made a lot of really tough decisions, or decisions that weren't that tough but seemed tough. Or, like, you, you always... There was a line that seemed kind of, like smart to have figured out like if you're playing a birthing pod deck you knew all of your chains and like you had this plan for how you're going to get out of positions like if you could resolve your pod or like if you were a delver player and, and like i was to be kind of bolstered by jataxian pro but like you would know like okay these are the spells i need to counter with mana leak or like this is how i'm going to win this game i'm getting very aggressive or like i'm going to play a little longer and then try to like close with my equipment and moreland haunt or whatever right like there was just so much variety in the way the games played out and almost all the games like felt like there were lots of decisions being made. I don't know that this format really captures that for me all the time. I know people who play a lot of rogues feel that way. Maybe I should have just been playing rogues. Yeah. Um, but I will say that as far as just, if I were playing the SDG tour in paper, if that was the life I was able to live, God bless. <laughs> that, and it was, and it was standard every week, I would have a tough time. And yeah. I think that's good. I, I think that no one would be able to really, no, and if you did know what was happening, you would win a lot. And that's like kind of what they want out of standard. So Yeah, that's true. Uh, Pretty sure. Huge home run to this format. Hats off to designers and hats off to Magic being great. Yeah. So. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock the designers. They did a great job yeah. with balancing everything yeah, with this one. They did yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Especially considering, you know, all things considered, whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of bands <laughs> that are supposed yeah. to be here. Uh, but yeah, that's dope. This was really fun to do, Abe. I'm glad we did this. I'm excited to do this next time where I get to throw some more questions your way, see, see what you got silly about, you know? Yeah, this is going to be a lot less fun for me probably when I'm 
Yeah, when, when you're whatever. When, yeah, when you're the one who's who, never miss, you know. It's oh, it's I didn't consider that, that. Sheesh, that's crazy. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Constructed Criticism. Abe, if someone wants to find you, where can they go? Uh, Twitter.com/slash/more/nothings and uh, Twitch.tv slash more nothings if you want to follow. I've been streaming a little more of the SVGs since my internet has gone from being unplayable to marginally playable. So as long as that continues, I'll be streaming whenever I'm playing events. You'll love to see it. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark, and you can find me each week on Card Kingdom every Thursday. I write articles predominantly focused on standard, and this week you actually see me on the Card Kingdom YouTube channel doing some stuff with their preview cards and talking about that sort of thing. So you'll see me over the next couple of days there. Yeah, I get to I get to do some hits early. So if you're if you're winning preview season, Ooh. they're they're coming out soon. So it's gonna be pretty hype. So check that out. Uh, also Sorry. do that so that my numbers are bigger and I'm a better person and they pay me more. So that'd be good. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. We'll see you back here next week for the pick to set review. Hype. Talk to y'all then. <laughs>